FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Speakeasy with Deneen, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Deneen Milner. Each episode of Speakeasy trains a spotlight on a single word and then deep dives into the many ways it shows up in the African-American community. On this episode, the word is Black. Today, I'm giving you a glimpse into two generations of Blackness. I'm in conversation with my daughters about how I poured Blackness into them and how they're pouring it right back out into the world. I'm also sitting down with author Damon Young to learn why what doesn't kill you makes you blacker. And I'm introducing you to a spoken word artist whose writings bring the African-American experience to life with a roar that's undeniable. What you're hearing is a song Umi Says by Most Deaf. As a parent, this song has been a powerful anthem. On our last episode, I told you how having children opened my eyes about my own beauty as a black woman. It first happened in 1999 when I had my daughter Mari, and again in 2002 when I gave birth to her sister Lila. They grew up surrounded by all things black. For example, when they were younger, we'd sing and dance to Umi Says. From the womb, I poured blackness into my daughters. I hung pictures of brown people on the wall so they could see themselves. I rocked them to sleep to the sounds of Stevie Wonder, Lauryn Hill, and Earth, Wind, and Fire so they could feel black rhythm and soul down in their bones. I filled their libraries with black books by black masters like Nikki Giovanni and Jason Reynolds so they would know that the stories of black people matter. And every single day, I told them how pretty they are how lovely their chocolate skin is, how pretty is their natural curly kinky hair, how strong their thick legs and hips and black girl booties are. And I insisted they love themselves, truly love themselves, exactly how God made them, black and beautiful. As a parent, it was so important to show my babies who they were, since I didn't get that growing up. My mom and dad didn't focus on blackness. It just was what it was. My girls needed to see the world through a deeper lens. Hi, my name is Lila Childs. I'm 16 years old, and I'm a student at Grady High School. Hi, my name is Mari Childs. I'm 19 years old, and I'm a student at Yale University. I tried my best to raise Lila and Mari to see their own blackness inside and out. But my lessons didn't translate the way I thought. Let's hear first from Mari, who talked to me from a studio on Yale University's campus. 
Roughly 7% of the university students identify as black or African-American. This year, the student body elected its first black president in its nearly 320-year history. Let that sink in. Mari says going to Yale lit a spark inside of her. Like a door has been opened since I've been in college. I really started to realize like the depth of blackness and like all the ways that blackness can be different in and of itself. Like I feel like basically every day that I'm here I'm proving somebody wrong. And that just makes me want to go harder. And it makes me want to, you know, succeed and achieve as much as I possibly can because that's all I want to do is prove people wrong and, you know, show them that black girls are magic. Black girls are magic! Period. Period. With a T at the end because that is very, very, very black. That's my baby. Mari came to this realization by meeting so many different kinds of black people. Those from the African continent, others who grew up in the hood, and others raised in predominantly white spaces. All of these black people were melded together in this one space and like realizing like the vast differences between all of us that I never realized, but also like the links and all of the connections between us was like, extremely, extremely profound to me. And I realized how deep blackness really is. Hearing my baby say this blows my mind. I've been pouring blackness into this girl since she was in the womb. How in the world could she just now be having this revelation? Your parents and your family's like teaching and words can only go like so far. Cause as soon as you get out into like the real world and you experience things, when they're not there, the world will tell you something completely different. And so you kind of have to figure it out on your own. There are days I close my eyes and picture Mari strutting around Yale's predominantly white campus. I'll walk around campus with like my African um, dance um, costume on and stuff and look at the white people like, what? Like, <laughs> yes, this is That's what I'm my wearing. Baby. <laughs> Yes, it's bright. Yes, it's colorful. Yes, it has a lot of patterns. Yes, this is what I'm wearing. Is there a problem? I like what she was talking about when she said she was walking around campus, embracing her blackness and like showing it off and stuff like that. Like, I want to be able to do that wherever I end up. That's my other daughter, Lila. She's still in high school in Atlanta. Growing up, Lila's blackness was something that was, uh, let's just say, in question. Um, so I used to be like a diehard Taylor Swift fan when I was in middle school. Um, you don't really see many black girls in that environment, sort of fan base. It's mainly white girls. Yup, you heard that right. Taylor Swift. I see out too late. Got nothing in my brain. Mm-hmm. That's what people say. Mm-hmm. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. My baby is glued to Taylor Swift. This is coming from someone who grew up with me leaving Stevie Wonder lyrics in our lunchbox. Lila says expressing blackness at school was never easy. It was, it was like a weird period because all the things I had seen, heard, listened to, like at home, I couldn't relate to the white kids, that, to my friends at school. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of awkward. But all that started to change in eighth grade when Lila took a race, class, and gender course. She says her teacher helped her look at race under a microscope. That was like a big, big change because he kind of talked to us about race a lot and like what it means and like the differences and similarities and how you like interact with people. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started um, transferred over. I don't know. But I definitely was hanging out with the black kids in eighth grade. Like I kind of moved my friend group. Like I was still friends with the white kids, but Mm -hmm. like my closer friends were all black. And I think it was just the matter of relating to them more. In just a short time, Lila wants to go to college for dentistry. She dropped this bombshell about where she wants to study. I've actually been thinking, like, I really kind of really want to go to Howard. (laughs) Whoa, news! Yeah. This is news! Oh, what? You want to go to Howard? Word? And especially because they have um, Howard School of Dentistry. That's right. That graduates, like, the most black dentists in the country. Let me tell you something. This was an eye-opening conversation for me as their mom. You can pour everything you have into your kids, but my God, it's something to know that they have to live in the world to truly understand blackness on their own terms. My thanks to Lila and my other baby Mari for telling me about how they've embraced their blackness. Makes me want to dance with them all over again, the most deafs Umi says. To hear my girls grow even stronger because of their blackness makes me proud. But I still worry about all the challenges facing them in our divided society. Journalist Damon Young says living while black is an extreme sport. He's co-founder and editor-in-chief of the website Very Smart Brothers, and his latest book is called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. Here he is reading an excerpt. To be black in America is to exist in a ceaseless state of absurdity a perpetual serility that twists and contorts and transmutes equilibrium and homeostasis, the way an extended stay in space alters human DNA. Of course, there are other places that America takes us, and other places we draw to ourselves. It is perfectly sane, for instance, to be black and to allow outrage to conquer you. Damon Young reading a section of his book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. He tells me that wasn't the original title. So the original title was Nigga Neurosis. I I include that term in the book, and that term kind of encapsulates the state of being where you are, you experience a thing, and you question whether the thing happened because you were black. And this could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, did I get this um, scholarship because I'm black? Did I not get this scholarship because I'm black? Um, and, And again, it's not necessarily a thing that, you know, where you look at your blackness as, you know, oh, I wish I wasn't black. and But it's just more of just like, I, I wonder how my race impacted this, this thing that happened to me. Damon Young tells me it's hard to see the lengths some black people go to try to overcome racism rather than staring at it head on. 
Just a note, this is a part of the conversation where you might hear some explicit language. I make fun of people who um, have succumbed to respectability mm-hmm. and who believe that, you know, if I alter my behavior in this way or if I just wear different deodorant or if I listen <laughs> to different music or if I part my hair a certain way or I, where I, I shop at a certain store, then this is all it's going to take mm-hmm. for for um, for racism to end and for white people to finally accept us. Right. And but, you know, there's no point in even trying to assimilate in that in that manner because it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so why not just embrace it? Why mm-hmm. not just, you know, just dive completely into it? Mm-hmm. And 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 also too, submission to blackness, I think it expands your humanity. Right. Absolutely. And this, you know, uh, know, like there's a line that you had in your book that was something to the effect of allowing anger to be the only response to the absurdity of our condition would be suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I just thought that that was just a beautiful concept that what you just described as blackness is the way that I've grown to to care for care for it and love it and embrace it and how I pour it into my daughters, you know, that. Mm Blackness is not just the negative aspect of fighting white supremacy or fighting racism. It is, it is, you know, a spades game at the at the barbecue. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is, it is listening to D'Angelo while you're, you know, cooking your your fried fish for dinner on a Friday mm-hmm. night because that's what you do on Friday nights. It's so many beautiful things that I wouldn't trade for a solid single to- single thing in this world. Um, and, you know, like being, it, it doesn't allow for a constant state of anger mm-hmm. because there's so many beautiful things about it. There's so many. And, and again, and, you know, with that said, there are people who are in that constant state of anger mm-hmm. and I get it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that's, it's a natural way to be. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It, it, it definitely is. There are people who are in a perpetual state of outrage. Right. And I, I understand that that's just, I, I, I can't live that way. Mm-hmm. But I understand when black people, when that's, when, when that's a black person's reaction right. to that. I, I, I get it, even though that's not for me, but I get it. So each chapter is an essay that... Um, sort of gives your personal perspective on things that make you black. There's the nigger fight story. There's the extreme but not irrational fear when cops come, um, you know, when you see them in the rearview mirror. There's the one white friend we think is down until they remind us that really they're not. There's money problems. There's a loved one stolen by racism in the healthcare system. There's confusion over whether to be the stereotype or fight the stereotype, um, and hope for our children, even if you know we're at a loss for how to parent them through the white supremacy's effect on blackness. So, there's so many beautiful sort of meditations, um, and funny as hell meditations on what it means to be black. Tell me about the nigger fight story. Because <laughs> we all have one. <laughs> okay, well, I, I don't. I don't have one yet. I, I haven't, I haven't right. had one. So um, when I first agreed to do this, that nigger fight story was like, you know what? This, I need that. He has to be chapter one, page one. 
And mm-hmm. and I feel like the entire book kind of builds off of that story. And so right. it takes place in, I think, 1984, 1985. My mom and my grandmother are at this, at, at this deli in this neighborhood in Pittsburgh. And there's some sort of disagreement about about the price of something or something. And the white boy behind the register ends up calling my mom and my grandmother black nigger bitches. Which yeah. is just... Really? <laughs> like, wow, he just pulled out all, <laughs> like, all really? the big guns. We having this conversation yeah, yeah, over olives, right? <laughs> I'm a black nigger bitch over ice cream. Like, really? Um, right. And so right. my dad was also in the neighborhood. He was up the street at, at a Giant Eagle uh, supermarket. My, my mom and my grandmother go, they leave, they go get him. They come back in the store. And... To understand the story, you also have to understand my parents. My parents are like the tea drinkingest, Pat Metheny, Steely Dan, NPR. <laughs> like my grandmother was an organist. She's like white gloves on Sunday. Like this, this, this is right. this is these people, right. okay? And so right, right, right. my dad approaches the guy, the the boy behind the register, who was probably like eighteen, nineteen years old. And it's like, you know, my, my wife and my uh, my mother-in-law said that you said this thing to them. I'm going to give you an opportunity to apologize. And if not, I'm going to come back there and kick your fucking ass with this two by four. Yeah. With this bat. And yeah. Right. And, he, and <laughs> right, I forgot. Right. Yeah. He had like a bat or a two by four or something with him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the white boy doesn't apologize. Then my dad starts counting. And you know that when a black parent starts counting, <laughs> that you need to brace yourself. Whatever, whatever <laughs> you write. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you were doing, yeah, you better cut it about out to start moving. <laughs> okay. Right. And then um, <laughs> he gets to 10. He swings it at him. He, like, I, I, maybe, like, hits his arm or doesn't really get him completely. And the white boy gets, like, this gets like this um almost like a machete and swings at my dad and so they're like swinging these swords and bats at each other and in the background my mom <laughs> and my and my grandmother are like breaking olive jars and throwing salami <laughs> and smashing ice cream on the walls you know and just and again you have to remember who this is like this is you know right. bank teller mom Organist grandmother, <laughs> Sunday morning, church clothes, and they're and they're basically it's like it's like the last fifteen minutes to do the right thing. <laughs> so they get arrested. Um, they broke windows. This basically ruined the store. Right. And they right. um, they they're questioned by like a black sergeant or lieutenant, some some black woman with some sort of authority. Who takes a look at them and is like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna let y'all niggas go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so sneak out of here. I'm gonna just say y'all are racially intimidated because you 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 are not supposed to be here. So I'm, I'll I'll make up right. something and y'all just leave. And so, right. This happened when. <laughs> and can I and can I just tell you that when your mom says, "Are you sure?" And then the lady responds, if you don't get on out of here. I like heard her say it. 
if you don't get on out of here <laughs> before these people figure out I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and so, you know, this happened. I'm like five or six years old. And I hear this story. Mm-hmm. And my parents tell the story at, at parties, at cookouts, at family reunions, at, you know, whenever. Because it's a great story. And so I wanted one of my own that I could share when it was nigger fight story sharing time. And um, I never ended up getting one. And, and, and the chapter concludes with me actually being called a nigger. And by this time, I'm like six, I'm 16 or 17 years old. I'm waiting for a bus by myself, um, going to go hoop somewhere. And this uh, pickup truck speeds by. And the person in the passenger seat screams nigger at me. And the car just keeps speeding by. And I'm, like, standing there at the bus stop, and I'm, like, I, I kind of look around. It's like, oh, I, I guess he is talking to me. I'm the only <laughs> I'm the only nigga here, so I guess he was – that was for me. And it's, like, I, a part of me wanted to scream, like, yo, turn around. You know, I, this is it. You called me in. Now I need a chance right. to fight you so that now we finally have – I can finally have the story. But he just kept on going and just, right. you know, just looking back on that. You know, just the absurdity mm-hmm. of wanting to be called that word just so mm-hmm. I could have some some sort of rite of passage. And and also the absurdity right. of assigning any sort of weight to what a white person did or didn't do when defining my own racial identity. You wrote so beautifully and eloquently about what it means to be a father, but what it means to be a father of a black child, a black daughter, um, and prepare her. What does it mean to prepare her? Or what does it mean to feel like you're unprepared to prepare her for what she'll be facing? Can you talk a little bit about that? I've always been a person who's been very, you know, very thoughtful and very, I don't know, very immune, I guess, like peer pressure. Like that's just been my thing where I kind of just, uh, I kind of just do my own thing. Marched to be my own drummer or whatever, very independent. But that independence, a part of that independence is is due to the fact that uh, I also sometimes overthink. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes maybe I'm not as assertive as I need to be. Mm-hmm. And that overthinking and that stressing over what to do sometimes paralyzes me. And that has even led to me having acid reflux. Mm. And so that good part of me and that bad part of me come from the same thing, come from the same place. And so the chapter is me trying to figure out how to pass on that good stuff to my daughter. Right. And while also realizing that, you know, she's she's a little black girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all the racism that I've dealt with. It's going to be compounded because she'll have to deal with sexism, too. Right. And just trying to figure out how I could teach her to be whatever she wants to be in the same America that I believe killed her grandmother. Yeah. In yeah. the same America that's been around for, you know, hundreds of years and and will it will do everything it can to prevent her from being and doing what I said she could be and do. Even though I don't know how it's possible for her to be whatever she can be while America is everything that it is, 
I do believe that it's possible. I don't know how it happens, but I believe that it will happen. And that's 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 the message that I want to give her. And that's also the message I want to give to my two daughters, Mari and Lila. After all, what doesn't kill you makes you blacker. Our thanks to Damon Young. Before we said goodbye, we did a few rapid-fire rounds of a game I like to call. Uh, things that are inherently black as hell. Uh, spades games. Grits. Ooh, that is black as hell. Uh, all 846 members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, Beyonce calling herself Creole. That's black as hell. This is Speakeasy with Deneen, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Now let's hear from a poet whose work embodies what it means to be black. Teresa Michelle Wilson goes by Teresa the Songbird. She lives in Atlanta but was raised in a Chicagoland area and a predominantly Jewish upper middle class community. Both of her parents are from Mississippi, and they raised their daughter to appreciate her blackness. All of this played a role in how Teresa expresses her own blackness through poetry, especially in the poem, You So Black. It became a viral sensation on social media after she performed it at the 2019 Trumpet Awards. When I first heard it, Teresa's words lifted me up in the way other poems haven't. She stopped by our studio to recite it. You so black. Ooh, you so black when you smile, the stars come out. You so black when you born, the God come out black as night. Black as dirt. Black as a boot. Black as a hearse. Black to the earth. Black at last and black at first. Black at birth. Black unrehearsed. Black uninvested. Black uninvited. Black ill-requested. Black interested black entertained black and something special baby black just the same black like your mamas and your daddies black like you want me and black like you could never have me black and inconvenient black with the burden of proof black until proven innocent black with the built-in truth black and blue black and substance abused black with lead in my water black with hands up don't shoot black and pipeline to prison black single mothers with children black and tired of the division of being black and broke black and poor black and bleeding black before black was needing social media black as bland back to africa and black again black as ancestors and panthers Black as Angela and Asada. Black as Betty and Coretta's sons and daughters. Black as pyramids and mathematics. Black as melanized and magic. Black as televised and in need of drastic black advancement. Black enhances. Black with chances. Black with privilege. Black with pride. Black on purpose. On the black hand side. Black and beautiful. And blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Black and blessed. Black and so much more. Black and nothing less. Black and educated, black and dangerous. You know, the blacks with the education are the most dangerous. Black is brilliant, black is strong, 
Black is resilient. Black is song. Black is infinite like hip-hop or space. Black is grace. Black is love. Black makes babies. Black babies grow up. Black is tough. Black is hard to do. Black is me. Black is you. Black is not something we get to choose, but it is something we get to cherish. It's something we get to wear and we get to rock it with honor. I'm black like my granddaddy and my great-great-great-great-grandmama. Back to the black first farmer of black soil and black seed. Black as you need. Black as you breathe. Black as you bleed. Black as you believe. Black as you love. Black is all of the above. Black has always been enough. Black is that lift every voice and sing. Black is letting our freedom ring and resound. Black is adjective, adverb, color, and noun. Black is crown. Black is clean. So to the black is all everlasting, to the black and passing, and to every shade of black in between. Matter of fact, if your pupils are black, so that we can all feel applicable. Baby, you so black, you transcend the physical. Your black is original. You so black, ooh! You so black when you smile, the stars come out. You so black when you're born, the God come out. That's Atlanta-based poet Teresa the Songbird reciting her poem, You So Black. We asked Teresa to tell us about the inspiration behind it. I wrote You So Black because I felt like in my whole canon of material, that I didn't, I just knew I didn't have a poem that was blanket black. Like, I have poems about black men. I have poems about black women. I have poems about black young men. I just recently wrote a poem about black young women, but I didn't have anything that was just like blanket for all of us that I could, you know, do all at once. I wouldn't describe myself as a poet who goes searching for the things that are happening on the news and the media and then I flip around and write a poem about it. But the climate of the things going on, specifically in communities that affect lower economic status folk, like folk of color, um, police shootings, the stuff in Flint with the water crisis, uh, just everything from coast to coast dealing with the jail system and the school system and how how closely correlated these two systems seem to be set up and run. We're just going to leave that. All of these things, for me, I wanted to find a way to put them in a poem and bring light to them, but at the end, still leave you with a narrative that kept you empowered. I want you to be fired up for your blackness in this moment. And I think that for me has been the real, the tremendous, uh, where the work lies is not so much in the writing of the poem, but getting to a place where when I perform the poem, you viscerally feel that experience. And I listen to what my mama tells me. My mama is always right. I hate to have to say it. She's always right. Even when she's wrong, she's right. And she knew something that I was just not aware of, that my words are meant to move people in a specific direction. I have to write for the benefit of my listeners. I cannot just write selfishly for myself about how I feel in a moment because it's bigger. Like my feelings are trite compared to the emotions of humanity. 
Frederick Douglass, Thurgood Marshall, Rosa Parks, Sir Join the Truth, Nat Turner. These are the comic books that I read as a child. I was very empowered as a kid. The narrative that my parents and my family gave me about myself always made me walk into a room like, ah, black people are the best. Didn't you know? And I just, when I go out into schools, when I go into any sort of situation and I see people who look like me, who aren't on fire, aren't just lit up with passion for their blackness, I just want to give that to them. That's Atlanta-based poet and spoken word artist Teresa the Songbird. Visit us online to hear more of my interview with her and the full version of her poem, You So Black. And we want to hear from you. How do you embrace blackness? You can reach us at speakeasywithdeneen.com. I'm Deneen Milner, and this is Speakeasy with Deneen. Kiosha Howard and Sean Powers produced the show. Our theme music is by M. Fassel. We heard additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Speakeasy with Deneen is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to us for free at gpb.org forward slash podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. And until the next time on Speakeasy, be easy. Be easy.